Hello, listeners. Thank you for tuning into Art to Heart, where we delve into the creative minds of the artisans in the Fort Wayne area. I am your host, Mandy Kolkman. This podcast sheds light on the thoughts, feelings, and backgrounds of the artisans that bring pizzazz to Fort Wayne. Here, discover tips on being your most creative self and hear about upcoming events in the arts community. Today, I am sitting in the Fillmore on Broadway with artist and partnering owner of the venue, Joel Freemian. It's a pleasure having you here today. Thank you very much, Mandy. Joel creates very tactile work that is an intricate blend of fabric and leather to create collages that are then further enhanced with painted details. The results are these remarkable detailed images that startle the eye and intrigue the mind. And you call your work fabric collages? That's correct. And what was your inspiration behind creating this style of art? When I was studying fine art in the early 1970s, I was living above my mother's custom drapery workshop and upholstery shop, and uh, I was very much struggling with medium of painting. And I had a prof suggest that I do something and think outside the box, and I had been supplying the design school with my mother's discontinued fabric books and had saved some of them for my own use and put a my first collage was a big study of a bronze Picasso head that I did in 2D and did it as a big wall hanging. And my prof really liked it. And I ended up doing another one in the mid-70s that I gave to my sister, who uh, has owned it since then. Uh, when I saw it after several years of not seeing it, it, it kind of re-stimulated me. And again, I was a very unsuccessful painter. <laughs> so you were dabbling in the arts before starting your fabric collages, it sounds like. Was there a moment during your childhood or as a young adult where you knew that art was your calling? Absolutely. My kindergarten teacher asked my parents to get me into some art classes. And uh, at the time, I was one of four siblings. I always loved sports. And at the time, I had my choice between art school or a membership to the Y. <laughs> and I took the membership to the Y, which delayed my art experience up and through high school, actually. Yeah. But I always had a deep interest, and I studied design and art and architecture. I loved uh, archaeology. My mother always used me for arranging pictures on our living room walls. I seemed to have a good idea of dividing space. But I didn't really know early on, and I would tell any young art student to take a variety of classes. Don't make a determination too early as to what type of artist you're going to become. Mm, that's great advice. One of the funniest things that I've noticed when someone views your artwork for the first time, they turn to me and say, I really want to touch it. Was that one of your goals when coming up with the fabric collages? No, not at all. And as a matter of fact, I do a lot of outdoor festivals and, you know, kids with popsicles and ice cream cones can become a real danger. <laughs> yeah. Here at the Fillmore, I always, I always fear a, a glass of red wine ending up on one of my collages, uh, although I think they could be cleaned. Um, but 
you know, the tactile quality of them is, is obvious because the, using fabric instead of paint, you recognize that as you get closer to the pieces. And so, you know, if, I always understand the want to do that, and uh, if, I, if their hands are clean, they, they can. <laughs> Great. I'll know for next time if I'm giving a tour at the Fillmore that, well, if your hands are clean, you can touch the artwork. So what is your process for creating the collages? I'm sure it's very time-consuming. Can you kind of break it down for us? Yeah, sure. I usually start with photography, if it's a landscape or a still life or a portrait, three areas that I've explored widely. You know, I'm usually working with photography. My process is very slow, so I will take many digital images that I may use a combination of those. I may crop the image down with, to make a larger image out of a, of a larger one. I may blow, blow things up a little bit to exaggerate some of the shapes. And then I also work in a non-objective work where the, my medium is kind of a form of dissection. So uh, I call them my entanglement series. Hmm. And be because of the way I construct the pieces, kind of starting with a drawing and carefully cutting out shapes and then replacing those paper shapes with fabric or leather shapes, you can get some really, really detailed designs that are hard to envision if you were doing a painting of them. I could see that. Has there been a piece or even a moment that was challenging where you felt you just wanted to give up? There have been periods um, of time, and usually every year where, you know, I get to a point where I've worked for countless hours and it's usually late September about now through May when the weather gets nicer. Mm -hmm. I'm also an avid gardener mm -hmm. and I have a property which nurtures me and which provides subject matter for me and I am the sole proprietor and so the summer months are usually a time that I consider recharging my batteries. Mm -hmm. So that by, I, I've always loved the fall. I love fall landscapes. And so I, I find that period really good in that I'm not burning myself out and I'm absorbing nature. Mm -hmm. And by the time September comes around, I'm anxious to get back in my studio and get to work and and the cold weather I've never loved cold weather so mm -hmm. my art has largely come about as a as someone that hates cold my wife sometimes in the winter time will say you know, Joel you haven't been outside for a week <laughs> I might go out to get the paper but you know I really do not like cold weather so it's you know my friends in the south I always say well you know that's my most productive time of year right and so now I cherish that time of year I don't think of winter as being depressing and cold. Yeah, thank you, Fort Wayne. Yes. Cold winters, because that seems to be a little bit of your production time. What inspires you to create a new collage? Do you see something in your everyday life, maybe your garden, as you were talking about earlier? You see that and you're, you say to yourself, I must recreate that. Yeah, I, I usually have my camera with me, and you know there are some... You know, art is really all about light and dark and how the sun hits an object. And I've always been a very observant of nature. And so, yes, the, uh, although I never had the desire to paint a still life, my process is more like a small construction project. So 
it really isn't about the subject matter as much about the process. Mm -hmm. And I've had many of my staunchest critics tell me they feel my still lifes are my best work. Mm. And again, never having a want to paint a still life. Never really painted portraits, but I love the collage portraits that I do. And it's, again, more about shapes and values and textures. What is the most difficult thing about what you do? Finishing it. <laughs> is it the time? Yes. Yeah. I mean, when, when, you know, when I'm beginning a piece, uh, knowing that it's 100, maybe 200 hours of labor, you know, it can be a bit depressing, but usually in a single day, I can make enough progress on a piece that then I get inspired about it. Mm. And it's, I've often compared it to reading a really good novel. Once you know what's going on in the, in the book, in the storyline, you want to finish it. And, right. and so if I had, I, I took a long recess between uh, my art school days uh, and becoming a serious artist. I, I had a family, went into business, and, you know, there was about 10 years where I did not produce much artwork at all and began feeling very guilty about even calling myself an artist because I wasn't practicing. And so I think that, you know, my Achilles heel has always been the next project. Mm -hmm. the, you know, a feeling of really satisfaction having finished something, but then having the courage and the desire to make the next piece. Right. Uh, and sometimes that feeling can last for months. I loved your analogy about a book. So do you feel as though you'll start a piece, and you have an idea of where you want it to finish, but you really don't know the bits and the pieces and the things that get you from point A to point B until you've started the piece? Anymore, I usually have a pretty, you know, in the early days that was a problem where I look too hard for a piece of fabric that I maybe could manipulate with paint or otherwise to get it where I needed to go. So there was a lot of time spent. I, I've always had a chair or a couch in my workspace removed from my easel so that I can sit down and study the piece. And I tell people today I spent a lot more time years ago sitting in that chair <laughs> than I did up working at the easel because of those conflicts in your mind. But I tend to work through those now, and I have a wonderful studio that I have everything laid out in front of me. It used to be a, and this medium became useful to me when I had a shop and needed something to do when, when I wasn't busy at my shop. So I many times had very portable setups with an easel, and I had to get my fabrics out every day. Now everything is right there, mm -hmm. and, uh, and that makes it a lot easier. We talked a little bit about finishing a piece. Do you think that that's the most rewarding aspect about what you do? Or is there anything else about your work that's very rewarding, fulfilling? Someone else really liking it and buying it mm -hmm. is always a thrill. Right. You know, I, I was an antique dealer early in my career, so I and sold a lot of what they call dead art, meaning the artist is dead. <laughs> and... It, the buyers of dead art are different than the buyers of contemporary art in the sense that they want to know the artist. That That's part of the whole thing, knowing the artist, his thoughts behind it. All the things you can't know about dead art mm -hmm. is the big difference between why someone buys old art and why someone is supporting a contemporary artist. What's your favorite piece that you have created and how has its existence impacted you? Well, I live with my art 
all the time. My wife and I, you know, collect other art, but we also have a lot of my art in an, in my in my home and in my studio. And I don't really have a favorite piece. I I, I think, you know, I, I was about forty when I got really serious about this, and if I realized uh, one thing at forty that I didn't realize when I was nineteen and twenty. It was that I didn't have any restraints of time. And by the time I was 40, I had gained a lot of patience. I think I could think through a project a little more clearly than when I was 20 years younger. And that freedom of time really, really freed me to do some work that I knew would take a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And once I started getting the results of that time, then even even more so. And so I don't really put a time limit on any projects. Uh, if it's a commission piece and it has to done, be done next week, I still many times will put 100 hours into it. It just gets, and I've always felt that the work that's condensed in the smallest time frame are usually my best and freshest pieces. The ones that, you know, I get interrupted for a week and have to make a trip or, you know, I come back to those, and in the end, for some reason, they don't seem to have the same spontaneity that the ones that I really crashed on. Are there any that I would know of, any in the Fillmore, that are amongst your favorites, or do you think most of those are living with you in your home? The one behind you on the wall, which is the ele elevated rice fields of China, um, is is one of the more complex pieces I've ever done, mm -hmm. um, and and it's it is a it is a scene, but it's almost abstracted, mm -hmm. and uh, the colors, the complicated fitting of all the materials, I, I think it was a true test of my abilities when I did it, mm -hmm. uh, uh, even more so for my seamstress, <laughs> because I do not do the stitching on my work there. They're completely composed and glued onto canvas backs and then taken, completed to my seamstress who top stitches them all on a commercial straight stitch sewing machine. So, you know, looking at the center of a still life uh, or, or the rice fields of China, there's a lot of concentration of detail in the center of the piece. Mm -hmm. And when you think about wrangling that around in a sewing machine, it's very, very atypical stitching. Oh, I'm sure. Surprised she doesn't have it out for you. <laughs> you have several accolades. Can you share a few with us? Sure. The Fort Wayne Museum of Art in 2012 gave me my first uh, retrospective at the Fort Wayne Museum of Art, which I was delighted to have that. There was They published a catalog. Uh, I had 60 pieces showing in, in the main gallery. Two weeks ago, I participated in the Penrod Arts Fair in, on the grounds of the Indianapolis Museum of Art and took second place out of 350 artists. I'm also participating this year in Grand Rapids Art Prize 7, which is the largest financial award to artists in the world. And I'm very encouraged and hopeful <laughs> that I might be in the running up there. Good luck. That sounds incredible. If there's an artist out there, maybe they have a similar style to you, just in that, that it's different and maybe aren't sure if it will be well-received, or just anybody who has an idea and they really want to get it off the ground, do you have any food for thought 
for them? Yes. I mean, I, I think it's important to show it anywhere you can show it. I, I have never, ever turned down an opportunity to show my work anywhere. Um, so take the opportunities when they come to you. Continue to work and build a body of work and start entering uh, juried competitions. Mm. I was unsure enough with my fabric collage medium when I restarted in the, when I was 40 that I thought I should get out of town. And so I entered the Hoosier Salon, which is an annual show in Indianapolis every year. And I got some recognition there in a, in a climate where I had never shown my work. So I, uh, I was just hesitant to do it in Fort Wayne because too many people knew me as an antique dealer and not as an artist. Mm -hmm. And so I think that getting your work into a market that's never seen it before is a good way of getting some quick critical evaluation of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Where can people find your work? I uh, have a home studio. I live in Ossian, and I always have lots of work there, uh, both finished and, and in progress. So and anybody that ever wants to see my studio is more than welcome to come down. I have always used the Fillmore as kind of a gallery. I'm a member of the uh, ArtLink, and we have uh, an artist member show every year. I also usually show in the Fort Wayne Artist Guild show, which is held at St. Francis University every year. In Indianapolis, I'm a member of the Hoosier Salon and the Indiana Artist Club, both of which offer annual exhibitions. Um, have not done any local art festivals and uh, have started to do those again mostly in I've done Ann Arbor and Chicago. I'm hoping to do some South Florida shows this year. Are you online as well? Yes, I have a website that's uh, freemianart.com. Freemianart.com, and that's F as in Frank, R E M as in monkey. I-O-N is in Nancy.com. That's correct. And my last question for you is, if someone has not had the pleasure of meeting you, what would you like them to know about you? I'm very approachable. I say that because when I was a young artist, I was kind of bashful and hesitant to go up to people that I, artists that I really admired, to seek their advice. And I love giving it and love giving encouragement to young artists. So I think that, probably. That's great. And it's good to hear, too. Well, thank you again for listening to Art to Heart with Mandy Kolkman and our guest today, Joel Freemian. We will close with an inspirational quote from Picasso. Art washes away from the soul the dust of everyday life. That's a wrap. Have a good one, everybody. Mm -hmm.